You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded, the first pod of the regular season. It's me, Patrick Bexel, and I'm joined by Jared Book. Thank you for joining us, Jared. Thanks for having me. Let's... Uh... Let's let's do this. Let's talk some, about the Canadians for a little bit. Some awesome work with the previews this year, and I'm happy to to, to feel that I wasn't involved in it. I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I know we had a a tough ride there. But uh, thank yeah. you for putting it together. Yeah, we, we had some we had some good guests. We had some good guests. It was a lot of fun, uh, and uh, really thankful that uh, we got some of the people that we got. So if you haven't listened to those, they're, they're, even though the season started, they're still uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I guess the Toronto isn't as relevant as we thought. <laughs> it kind of is, though, uh, just because it, there's like this, like these, like the sort of Damocles is like over the Leafs, right? Like yeah. they, they're, they're just kind of like, like they don't even care about the regular season. Like as long as they make the playoffs, they'll be happy. And then it's all about w- winning around, right? Like they don't care if they finish. I mean, they care probably because it gives them an easier matchup, right? But I don't think they're, they're really too worried, but I mean, look, so, something's got to change there. I mean, we're not going to talk about Leafs here, but I mean, yeah, something's got to give uh, in Toronto for sure. And we're also having the awesome Matt Drake with his bottom six minutes here to talk about anything that he wants. You can guess what it is. It's not Joshua yeah. this time anyway. <laughs> it's the refs. It's the refs. Of course, we, we it's always we, the refs. We, we I just saw this tweet, Matt. You commented on it in a Slack channel. Uh, perfect game by the ref in the, in the World Series last night. When do we see a perfect game from a ref in the NHL? Oh, <laughs> a perfect game from a ref in the NHL. Um, that's that's a unicorn, buddy. That doesn't exist. <laughs> All right, but we're here to talk about the Habs and and obviously uh, the start of the season that has been a little bit. Uh, not what we expected, guys. Right? Yeah, it, it's been it's been positive, right? And and I think that that's anything anyone could have expected. Like, is it surprising that they're over five hundred? Yeah, probably. Is it is it surprising they're ahead of Toronto and Ottawa? Yes, probably. Uh, do I expect them to keep it up for the rest of the season? No. Um, do I think they're going to catch some of the teams in front of them? No. Uh, but but I think that what's the what's the most positive aspect is not just the results, but how they're getting there, right? This team is being led right now by yes, they're getting good goaltending. Jake Allen, Sam Montembeau are playing well. Uh, I wouldn't say they're necessarily stealing any games, except for maybe you know uh, the game against Buffalo. Um, and, and you know Allen was great against Detroit, but they lost that game anyway. Um, but in terms of who's leading this team right now, it's Nick Suzuki, it's Cole Caulfield, it's Caden Gooley, and Jordan Harris. And other guys are are contributing to that. But, I mean, if you can pinpoint four players that you'd want to be leading this team to wins, those are the guys, right? The, the, those are the guys you, you, you'd you you'd want to to be leading this team. It's not like, you know, Sean Monaghan and Yol Armia and, and Brendan Gallagher and Mike Hoffman are leading the way. Uh, it's it's the young guys, and everything. Look, last year they barely finished last, and it was an absolutely everything that could go wrong did go wrong. 
they were not finishing last again this year. It just wasn't going to happen. And the only question was, will the young guys step up? And they are. You know, even Uri Slavkovsky is playing better. Kirby Doc is playing well. Um, you know, he might be the guy that they need on that top line. And and so I think that's it, it's positive, right? This team is probably not going to fight for the playoffs. The goaltending eventually will eventually, you know, falter and they'll, they'll lose games. But that's fine. As long as Caulfield and Suzuki are doing what they're doing. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, like... <laughs> We're not here to talk trade articles or or waiver wire stories, but what what really has been the focus of this start of the season has been the future core is gelling together, and right on top of that core is uh, a cherry with the name of Cole Caulfield, right, Matt? Yeah, I mean Cole Caulfield. I, I said it at the start of the season; he's going to score forty this year, and you know, last night. I was doing my little countdown after he scored. I posted a clip of him scoring a uh, second goal of the game and I'm like 33 to go. And one of my followers you know, responded to it and said, yeah, I'm going to correct that. I'm going to say 43. So there's people now who are starting to wonder, can this kid snipe 50 this year? I think that's a bit of a stretch target to be honest, but look at how well he's playing. Do you really want to put a governor on this kid? Like, do you, do you want to doubt him I, I, at this point? I think he's turned into every bit of the player that that they hoped they were getting when they drafted him and that he looked like he was going to be throughout his time in Wisconsin and that he looked like he was going to be when he first joined the team as well. I mean, he was scored at a pretty good pace at the start and then all of a sudden the, the offense just dried up. So like Jared said, you know, seeing the youth actually lead the movement right now, it's it's a really good sign for the rebuild. I think everybody knew this team was going to be better than they were last year. Everybody knew that. There's no way that they were going to be that bad, right? There's no way that you're out tanking, you know, the Arizonas of the league this season. Um, to see Caulfield leading the way in terms of scoring, to see Suzuki leading the way in terms of points, um, this is great news for the rebuild. I think they, that this rebuild could be a lot faster if even just a couple of their prospects work out in the next couple of years and, and graduate to the NHL. We could see this team back competing pretty damn soon. Caulfield, almost every night, it looks like he could have a multi-goal game. He had two goals last night, and I think that was like light work for him. Like he hit what he hit the post twice, I think, in the first period. That could yeah. have been a four goal game for him. And you know, what if he was on the ice at the end of the game when the net was empty, and it's him shooting that puck instead of Christian Dvorak? I mean, right now with the way he's feeling it, I don't see him missing the net from anywhere. Yeah, I mean, unless he hits the post or bar. Unless he hits the post. I mean, that's the worst case scenario for him right now is that he hits the post or gets his shot blocked. And even when he gets the shots blocked, he it's like it pisses him off. And then he's he's looking for that puck. He really wants it back because he wants to get another shot. I mean, the, the, this is a completely different player than we, than we saw at the beginning of last year. He's the, the governor's been taken off. And now he's he's playing free, he's shooting free, but his shot selection remains really, really good. Like you don't see him, he's not trying to put it on through a ton of traffic or anything like that. He passes it off when it's smart to pass it off, but if he has an opportunity, he takes it. And you know, that that free-flowing, free shooting nature of his game, it's it's benefiting him. And you know, again, I, I stick by my prediction of 40, but I would not be shocked. I would not be shocked if he somehow gets to 50. Yeah, I mean, I mean, with Caulfield, the thing you have to remember, or not even remember, but the thing you notice with him is that he 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 can shoot from everywhere, but everywhere he shoots from is a legitimate scoring chance, right? Like, like he doesn't shoot from anywhere where it's like, oh, 
that's an easy save, right? Like he could be at the goal line and and force the goalie to make a difficult save or just barely miss the net where somebody else would not even think of shooting it. So, and, you know, to, to your point about, you know, 40 or 50, he has seven goals right now. Only one is on the power play, six or even strength. If the Canadians can get some kind of consistency going on the power play, I think Oof. that's where it upticks his his goal potential because in terms of you know look if he you know if you talk about 50 goals and even 40 goals you know is he going to get 30 to 40 even strength goals it's possible mm. but but the degree of difficulty is is pretty high right if if he doesn't get those those goals on the power play and so i i think that yeah i mean it's definitely possible um but i, I think that the the most you know, and that's not that's not even a negative because I think it's even more impressive that he's scoring so much even strength. Because what was the knock on him, right? When he started scoring, oh, he only scores in three on three. Oh, he only scores on the power play. Well, that's not true anymore. <laughs> you know, it, it's it, it's um, I I I tweeted a Happy Gilmore thing yesterday, and and I'm gonna go back to Happy Gilmore because it's great. But like Happy Gilmore ha- always had the long game, but when his short game improved, it was like, uh oh, Happy learned how to putt. And now it's like Cole Coffee was like, uh oh, he learned how to score at even strength. And and that's that just makes him dangerous. Like it's just he he's he's one of those guys where every every time he touched the puck, it's a scoring chance. And the Canadians haven't had a guy like that. Even Max Pacioretty, his shot wasn't as good as Caulfield's. Um, no. you know, when you play against Toronto and you see Austin Matthews, when when he's on and he has a shot from like the top of the circle. It, it just feels different than when somebody else does, right? And 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 Caulfield has that ability and his ability to find space and the ability of Nick Suzuki to find Cole Caulfield in space is, is just a great combination. And and the sky is really the limit here, right? Like there's nobody else on the Canadians that you have to focus on. Right. When you're when you're trying to defend the Montreal Canadians, it's like, okay, we gotta stop Caulfield and Suzuki. And teams still can't do that. So yeah, I, I think that I think that that is the most positive aspect of this Canadian season, um, point blank, right? Like, it, 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 they are becoming consistent top line players, and this rebuild is dead in the water if they didn't become that. So it's good. It's off to a good start then. In that, in that case, you'd have to go back to a, a teardown at that point if if they didn't, <laughs> right? If they didn't develop into that. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it, the way you know you're gonna have to pay Caulfield after this season. Mm-hmm. That's that's for sure. Yeah, uh, you're already paying Suzuki um, probably a discounted rate compared to what he probably should get um, compared to the market, and, and there were questions about whether that was going to be the case. But yeah, I mean, if Suzuki topped out as a second line center, as an example, and you're paying him seven point eight million, that deal doesn't look as good, right? Like you, you know, especially yeah. you still have you know. Well, like, I think I think Toronto plays their second line defender or something around that area, right? <laughs> Well, yeah, um, but I mean, I mean, that's you know, it, it's it's different, right? Like, like it, it's 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 uh, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, it, it's a little bit different. Like, you can you can get by with it, but the way that the Montreal Canadiens are are cap heavy right now in terms of the veterans that they have around, you you can't afford to really miss on those contracts at this point. Yeah, you know, I don't want to sidetrack us here, but I think that brings up a pretty good question. Like, when do you sign Cole Caulfield to the extension? Three months ago was the correct answer. Yeah, three months ago. Uh, I was going to say, give me a Christmas gift. It's already too late. I was talking to my dad about it. I was talking to my dad about it yesterday. And 
you know, he goes, well, he's, he asked me, he's like, when are they going to sign him? And I'm like, well, how the hell would I know? If it was me, I would have already done it. Because if you wait till the end of this season, if he, let, let's say that my fever dream comes to reality and he actually hits 50, right? Again, my prediction is 40, but it, it, whether he hits 40 or 50, if it's 50, that price tag just went up. Price of the brick yeah. going up. Well, the, the thing is, the, the, the thing is with, with this is that I think now at this point, both sides are waiting for something where it could be multi, uh, you know, beneficial to both sides. Because at this point, you know, you want to see if the cap is going up. And all reports are it could go up as upwards of three to four million dollars as soon as next season. Yeah. So in a case like that, you can't afford to pay Cole Caulfield eight, nine million and have it make sense. And you know, so I think both both sides are are just in this way. Look, Kent Hughes has played this game before, right? Like he's an agent, <laughs> a few times. Right? Like, um, so I mean, he he understands both sides of of this negotiation, and and this is probably his most important one to date, um, without a doubt. Like it's you know, it's not Jake Allen, <laughs> right? Like this is, this is an important yeah. negotiation, and I think what's happening here is that. At this point, you just kind of wait and find a number that works out where you have more certainty. Because Cole Caulfield and his his team probably don't want to lock in at a contract expecting the cap to stay at 81 million. So if you can wait and see, okay, it's going to be 84, and then kind of lock it in, and who knows where it's going to be in two, three, or four years, right? Um, I, I don't think they're going to bridge Cole Caulfield. <laughs> I, I think that that ship has sailed. So it's going to be a long-term deal. You're going to probably buy some UFA years. And and at this point, it's probably beneficial for both to feel good about this deal, right? Because you don't want a case, and we've seen it in Montreal in the past, where you do pay the player uh, a big contract and the relationship got to a point where it was so toxic that you had to trade them. And if you're not sure exactly which contract I'm talking about, that's the point, <laughs> right? Like yeah. I could be talking about Pacioretty. I could be talking about Subban. Um, uh, you know, that that's kind of the, the, the situation here. It, it's, I think that at this point it's just to wait. And you know what? Like if you have to pay Cole Caulfield 9 million because he scores 50, there are worse problems to have, <laughs> right? Like you could be paying him, yep. you know, they could have signed them at the beginning of the year to a $7 million deal. And he tops it at like 35, which isn't bad but it's you know it's it's you know the the example i always give you know like tyler myers signed that really big contract when he was like 22 23 they didn't bridge him and he ended up being not worth that money um and you know that a bridge deal is kind of beneficial like yes you're probably are you paying cole caulfield you know probably two million more than you would have a few months ago yeah but at the same time the cap is going to go up it's you got more data as well yeah, exactly. Hmm. You know, you feel more confident about it, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, look, he's not going to get the McKinnon, McDavid, Matthews, Tavares money, right? He's probably going to be in that Marner range at the high end. And, yeah. And, and and then I think that's fine, right? Because, <laughs> because look, you're not going to pay – like, that's pretty much an internal cap, right? Like, if you have Suzuki and Caulfield locked in, that pretty much tells everyone we're not paying you more than these two guys, <laughs> right? So it, yeah, it you'd have to outperform kind of, them to. You'd have yeah. to outperform those two, which like good luck, right? It, exactly. So it kind of gives you an internal cap there, where you know it's all like, oh, that guy's making eleven. I should be making eleven too, right? So it, it it kind of benefits in that sense, and and I think that you know even even Caulfield and, and Hughes, like, listen, we're paying Suzuki seven point eight, you know, 
do you do you really think that you're worth like two million more? You know, so it, it, I, I'm not saying that that's the way you negotiate, but I think that it's it is a factor um, because there is the greater market as a whole. But I think there's also a team market that you have to look at. But yeah, I mean, I'm not worried about it. Um, look, it's not my money. So it is the one market in the league too, where like as far as uh, endorsements and stuff outside of your contract go, like you're getting them. You're you're getting plenty of them. Especially right. with a smile like that. Yeah. <laughs> Caulfield's already... Caulfield, I feel like I've already seen him on some French commercials. He doesn't speak yeah. in them, but like, the, the here's the thing. I mean, like, right? they... With, with they yeah, they the, don't even the care that he can't yeah. speak French. They're like, we're just going to get Drouin to co-pilot this with you. Yeah. He'll do the speaking. You can just stand there and we just need to see your face in it, dude. Yeah. It's like, imagine how easy that is. You get to cash checks for that too. So, I mean, yeah. I, I I know that players are never going to go, well, I can get endorsements outside of my contract, so I'll take a cheaper deal. Yeah. But it is a reality that, uh, like you said, you have number one, that internal cap. You got Nick Suzuki's contract, so you can't go that much higher than his. Even if you score 50, because... As they're gonna because you know, like you said, Kent Hughes has done this before. He's gonna also, walk into that negotiating room and he's gonna go, Well, it's gonna come from from, from exactly <laughs> Kent Hughes is gonna walk in there and he's gonna say, Well, we're paying this guy 7.8 and he assisted on 38 of the 40. So, <laughs> hmm, do we need to pay you 10 when he's at 7.8? It's like maybe we could find another shooter. Realistically, <laughs> we're not going to find another shooter. That's a bluff that you probably don't want to make, but yeah. I'm sure Kent Hughes can massage himself in a nice way to to throw that in there and drive the price down just yeah. a smidge. Well, right. I mean, look, and then if you get him at a reasonable dollar, right. If it's, you know, I, I at this point I would say for me, I'm not going to be upset if it's under 10, if it's under 10, I'm going to be like, great, perfect. I'm happy with it. And if it is, and the cap keeps going up, it's going to give them more flexibility through this rebuild. Cause Slavkovsky is going to be up for a contract eventually. Um, Philip Meshar is tearing it up in the OHL. When he comes up, it's probably as early as next year. It's not going to be long before he's going to be up for a contract. Who knows how that how much that's going to cost? Owen Beck's tearing it up. Really think he's going to be on the Habs next year. No problem. Joshua Huaya, I think he's on the Habs, if not next year, the year after. you got a lot of rookies coming up, and then they're all going to be basically expiring around the same time. So you want to keep yourself with some flexibility, even if the cap starts going up. Right? But yeah, absolutely, like, you, you touched but, on it though, and and um, you we mentioned the power play being ridiculously bad, but we saw some improvements <laughs> last last night. And uh, well, let's talk about the big elephant in the room. He's uh, performed pretty. He's performed better and better with every game he's played, and that's Juraj Slavkovsky. Um, are we that worried about first overall impressions anymore? <laughs> Not at all. Like Not whatsoever. I, I, he, he's uh, my my expectations weren't high. On Slavkovsky, and that which is fine. Like I was fully expecting him to go to Laval at some point, and, and the way that he's improved, I'm I'm not so sure he needs to, right? It, you know, he's getting power play time. He's looking better at even strength. Um, he he honestly has exceeded my expectations of what he is right now. Um, so yeah, not not worried in the slightest with with Yuri Slavkovsky, and, and I think that he you know. The, the his selection is turning out to be the the correct call. I stopped myself from saying saying the right one, um, the, um, but um, yeah, I I think that you know the the potential is is immense with Slavkovsky. I, I really do believe that, and it, yeah, it's... and we got a good look on on his shot last night, and that was mm-hmm. one heck of a shot, wasn't it, Matt? Your eye slap shotsky. 
It's your I slap Shotsky now. It's not Slapkovsky anymore. Um, what a great shot, man. It was a riser from up near the point. Um, got to hand it to Chris Weidman, I guess. He put that one on a platter. Uh, it was a nice little like pitch and catch there, right? Like Slavkovsky gives it to him. He just pitches it right back, puts it on that platter, and Slavkovsky just hammers it home. I actually don't even think that was his most impressive play of the game. There was one earlier on where he tried like a between-the-legs pass into the middle, and it failed. It was a dud. He passed it to nobody. And then you saw his, you saw him like put his head down for a second. It pissed him off that he made that pass. He circles back. And then when they go behind the net with it, uh, I forget who it was in St. Louis. Somebody had it behind the net. Slavkovsky just charges down on him, steals the puck, takes him a minute to get it off of him. But then it, the, the whole play ends with a shot on goal and an offensive zone draw for the Habs. So a bad pass from Slavkovsky doesn't get down on himself but maybe gets down on himself for half a second enough to piss him off and then he just goes charging in there wanting that puck it reminded me of what um who was it bobrov the the scout that in in that video that they released where he was saying this guy wants to carry the mail it reminded me of that when i saw that play i was like jesus this kid he when he makes a mistake he doesn't want the mistake to just go away. He wants to be the one who erases that mistake. He wants to make a difference out there. And uh, he did it on the power play too, which is nuts because the power play has been absolutely horrendous all season long so far. And all of a sudden now he comes back from uh, whatever it was, upper body injury. We, I guess they never really announced exactly what he was feeling there, uh, but it makes an immediate impact on the power play. I don't know how sustainable that power play is going to be. I don't think we're going to see them score two power play goals a game uh, very many times this season unless they they make some legitimate changes. But I think featuring him on the power play would be a good way to go. I think also featuring some of the young defensemen, I think Jordan Harris and Caden Gooley should be getting in there more. They should be like, let's try to ride this youth movement, right? We're seeing a lot out of Slavkovsky. Uh, We're seeing a lot out of Caulfield and Suzuki. Why not add more people into there, right? As far as Slavkovsky goes, like, you know, there's a big roundabout way to get back to your initial question, Patrick, of are we worried after the the first overall and the impressions? Not whatsoever. He's better than I thought he was. Uh, I was on record before saying I would have picked Shane Wright. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily writing off Shane Wright at this point. I know that he's not getting a whole lot of playing time in, in Seattle, and that's a little bit weird. But at the end of the day, I'm just looking at your Slavkovsky, and uh, maybe I missed the forest for the trees when it came to him because uh I, I was kind of zoned in on right as the pick and so far what i've seen from him there's a ton of potential he has a lot of room to improve and with the focus that this team has on development i think they can get him there and we, we're, we we're already seeing him improve Matt. we all know that so don't yeah i i do i got a t-shirt <laughs> that says i hate europeans i wear it all the time yeah no um, uh, joking around but i just want to add i just want to add one thing on, on slavkovsky is is that if everything we've learned about him since the draft it has been positive. And I think if we knew that stuff beforehand, and there's obvious reasons why the Canadians didn't let it out uh, and, and why we're, you know, obviously we're seeing more of him now, um, but he just attitude wise, he, you can, you can tell things and, and scouting from tape is one thing um, knowing the player. And that's why the, the combine and the interviews are, are important. I, I wouldn't say that they're the end all be all, but they're important to to see what the potential is, right? But let's, and, let's and, be and honest here, that... though. Let, let's be honest here. I mean, you, you have more than half of the interviews is done throughout the season, even if they're in in mm. the juniors in in yeah. North America or in Sweden or in Slovakia or or. But but anywhere. not by us, right? So no, so no, we don't, we don't get like, to see them, right? Yeah. Like like for the teams, I know 
players in Sweden that has had three interviews with half of the teams already. Yeah, no, for sure, absolutely. And and look, like the, the Canadians didn't even take Stokowski out for dinner at the combine, right? Like like that, yeah, and they ended up picking him first, right? So I I think that that's um, yeah, you're 100 right. But but I think that if we knew what we know now, the pick of Stokowski makes a lot more sense, and that doesn't even go into the acquisition of Monahan and Beck and Doc and and you know th- those guys as well because I, I think Owen Beck is going to fill a, a spot down the road that is right. pretty similar to the role that Shane Wright would have filled. So I, I, you know obviously you don't pick a guy because you think you're going to get Owen Beck later on, but but I think that everything that we know now it it it, it makes the pick to be as much sense making as Wright would have been. It's just that we don't have all the information right away, and, and that's just the, the the downfall of of doing the scouting kind of remotely, right? Like we don't we don't talk to these guys as often as the teams do. Um, but but I think that yeah, if we knew what we did in July, um, I think it would the narrative would have been a lot different, and and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's that's how the Canadians can can get these guys, and you know, guys in Europe we don't know as often, uh, except for Patrick. Um, and, and I think that that's where you can get to know them and, and kind of have the ability to, to find these, these guys are maybe undervalued. And, and I think Adam Enstrom is, is a good example of that as well, where, you know, he's one of the top under 20 defensemen in Sweden and, and that country knows how to produce a defenseman or two. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. It has been known to do that. We saw uh, two great <laughs> ones in in uh, San Jose last night, right? Yeah, I, I do not have the same T-shirt as Matt does. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I'm only teasing Matt because it's been seven years we've been having this argument, Matt, isn't it? Seven or eight? It, it goes back to Jolson. I think and, so. Uh, yeah. It goes back to Jolson and uh, Larson, Larson, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think we well, were... the 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 real reality is that you know. I my favorite player of all time is Saka Koivu. I mean, uh, I, I grew up on Saka Koivu. Right in front of me, actually. Yeah, he, he was my hero as a kid. Um, but you know, this is the thing about scouting, right? Especially for someone like myself, I mostly watch I, I watch QMJHL more than any other league. Second to that would I mean, obviously, I watch NHL more than any other league. I should say that first, but then after that, probably QMJHL, then OHL, then WHL. So I watch more of the CHL than I watch other leagues so I, I know more about those players so I'll, I'll gravitate towards them i mean i i will say this and i think everybody listening and both of you guys know exactly who i'm talking about when i say this i don't feel the need to dump on one player in order to prop up the one that i think they should pick i never did that with slavkovsky um but looking at it now now that we have a little bit more data nhl wise on the two players in, in question uh, i think they probably made the right pick and the uh, funny thing is, Levkovsky was was always seen as the, the the more long-term project of the two, which which is not which jived with <laughs> which jived with what they said too, which was we don't yeah. want the best player right now. We want the best player. We want the best twenty-three-year-old uh, player. They said, I yeah. think twenty-two or twenty-three. Yeah, you don't want the, player, you don't want the best player eighteen. Yeah, but <laughs> and I think that 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 plays into it as well, right? Because if he's as good as he is now, 
that's that's a positive because he you can see like the first preseason game I watched Lovkovsky, you can see that there's uh, a player there, right? Like you can just tell yeah. that that he's going to develop into his body and, and things like that. So yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing to say um, bad about but, this. You know, but look he, he at not score um, a goal. Well, you mentioned Pat, well, you, you. Sorry, yeah. Pat actually, I got to I got to shout Pat out on this because Pat sent me the dimensions of all the rinks in the Liga in Finland. Right. Because I was talking about, uh, I said it multiple times in the podcast. I'm like, it just seems like he's having trouble figuring out the, the smaller ice. And Pat sent me and he's like, you know, the ice is actually shorter in some of those rinks, but wider. And then one of the things I noticed early on in the games is like a lot of the times when he gains the offensive zone, he'll try to curl in towards the boards. And it's like he doesn't know where the boards are. It's like he thinks they're five feet away when they're actually right in front of his face. But if you look at last night's game, if you go back and rewatch that game, you'll see him a few times cut into the zone. And when he curls, he's got no issues. The only mistake he made was that one bad pass, which again, I already talked about and he went and fixed it. It seems to me like he's adjusting to the narrower ice, which I guess is really what we should be saying. We shouldn't be saying big ice versus small ice. We should be saying the, the wide ice versus the narrow ice because some of those rinks in Finland are really wide. He's starting to figure out his time and space now. And I think that's what's, getting him to the point of being able to generate more offense because he's no longer, you know, skating into the zone and thinking that he has more width to deal with than he actually does. I don't know if what I'm saying makes any sense, but I'm seeing a difference from him, especially in after he gains the zone, what he does with the puck afterwards. Um, and with his size, once he's got that figured out, man, it, this guy could be the limit for this kid. I, I think um, what you have to realize as well, because there are people saying it's so difficult to, adjust to to different set of ice when you are at the same ice the whole time being in north america or in shl where all the rings are the same makes for an easier transition i actually think it's difficult that if you play with one set of measurements um one day and another uh, the day after or, or two days later that is going to right if it's your, changing all the time yeah th then that's going to change your perception, and you're going to be hard to adjust. They're really skilled players. It doesn't matter if they're from Sweden, Finland, Slovakia, Canada, or US. They're going to know. Like, after three weeks, they have adjusted. Maybe a bit more, but, but because the speed of the NHL is obviously faster in that regard, because it is the best players in the world, most of them. But, but on the other hand, you also you, you play on the same ice, the same kind of of measurements the whole time and that makes it different easier to adjust i think i think people forget that it's not like you change like look at the premier league or or um i think the best example is barcelona that actually has the size of the pitch that could fit for maximum measurements uh, as well as the bounce than they usually do for for the champions league games um mm. looking though uh forward and and we mentioned the, the 22 and 23-year-olds already, but some really strong improvements on, on the back end as well in, in this youth development program that, that Montreal currently is running. Yeah, I, I think, you know, a lot can be said about, you know, the actual players and, and Caden Gooley and Jordan Harris and, and Jonathan Kovacevic, uh, even even Arbor, Arbor Jackai. Um, there's obviously improvement from those players as well. But I think the biggest factor in my mind 
and and you see this with the penalty killing as well, is the coaching of Stefan Robida and the, the, the changes that he's made to the defensive structure are night and day. And, and I think that, you know, there's going to be missed coverages, right? There's still young players, you know, and even the older players, right? Like David Savard sometimes um, makes mistakes, Chris Weidman. Uh, you know, it's not just the young guys. But but I think that, you know, there's going to be little mistakes, but you're, you're not seeing these system issues anymore, which was so evident for not only last year, but the years before that, where it's just like, what are these guys doing? Uh, I, I think that there's there's a little bit more structure and, and it's, and part of it is by necessity. Like, you don't want to tell a bunch of rookies, be like, okay, try and defense, go. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, it, it doesn't work that way. So I think you need to have more structure anyway. But but I, I think that that's a, a big difference. And I'm not going to say it's all Luke Richardson's fault because he's doing pretty well in Chicago right now um, as well. But but I do think that, you know, Stefan Robida and, and Martin St. Louis obviously plays a role in this as well. But the communication just seems to be on point. Like the penalty killing is better. The the zone structure is better. Like I said, there are mistakes, which is normal. You're going to have guys chasing or out of position. It's going to happen with any system. But but I think that's the, the biggest takeaway is that, you know, this this defense with last year's structure would be a recipe for disaster. And, and you're just not seeing that. Like they've been pretty okay for, for the most part. Yeah, the, the one pair that seems to be having trouble on and off is uh, David Savard and, and Caden Gooley. But the thing there is like they're, they're eating the toughest minutes. That's the de facto top pair, right? Yeah. They're, they're playing against top opposition constantly. So it's not surprising to me that they're not statistic, statistical darlings at this point. So what I'm looking for is positive progress, right? Development. And Caden Gooley, you're, you're seeing that with him. Like when he carries the puck up ice, sometimes you see him get to go and then you sit up in your chair a little bit it's like you know i i tweeted this out before maybe i was being a, a little bit hyperbolic there but i think he could be this generation's larry robinson in the way that he can take over a game when he wants to physically imposing uh can carry the puck up the ice contributes on offense um i i think he's going to get better and better as this season goes on and it doesn't seem like it's hurting him at all that he's playing those tough minutes there are some defensemen that you know if they came into the league that young they're playing those kind of minutes there it might hurt them a little bit because you know you get down on yourself but it, it seems like they've instilled the right mentality and that you know it's okay to make mistakes like you said we're seeing them but it's fine right uh, you, as, as, as long as we're seeing that positive progress, as long as you're getting that game experience that you need and you're able to, to start figuring out and picking your spots when it comes to jumping into the rush and stuff like that, I think that's good. Um, Jordan Harris looks fantastic so far. Really wish that they would give him a look on the power play. Um, and to that, as I mentioned before, I really wish to give Caden Gooley some more power play minutes as well. Um, I think they need to try some of these young defensemen to give them a chance to, to run that power play. And then Arbor Jackeye. I mean, Ar- Arbor Jackeye has struggled to defend against high danger scoring chances, but as a bottom pair defender, which is what he projects to be for the long term for Montreal, is like maybe a second pair or bottom pair defender. I think he's already there. He's already capable of playing those minutes. He's already playing those minutes, and he brings that extra toughness edge that that they just didn't have last year. Um, I, I can't say enough about the young defenseman. I'm excited about that core and seeing them develop a little bit. I've made my opinions known on David Savard a few times <laughs> as to, you know, his being a Montreal Canadian at all. But honestly, if, if I'm being completely 
upfront about it. He's been pretty good the last couple of games. I don't really have any complaints. So overall, the defense has been pretty good. Um, I, I would like to see them trust those young players even more at this point. I think they've done enough to earn more opportunities. And maybe I'm asking too much there, but again, power play is specifically what I'm looking at. What do you have to lose, right? I know you scored two goals last night, but the power play has been brutal outside of that game. You might as well throw some of those younger players on there and just see what they can do. Who knows? If they can help you turn it around, you know some of these guys are going to be around with the team for a long time. So you might as well find out if they can handle it. Yeah. One of the friends of the pod mentioned on Twitter this morning, because obviously he's in the same time zone as me, uh, it's clear that NHL teams have started to circling Gula on their whiteboards. Players finishing their checks on him, and every after any chance they get, no more free ride from Jason Paul. You know him as Wave Intel on Twitter. Um, it, it was obvious last night as well. I, I, I'm for. I actually fell asleep when it was three-one uh, blue, so I'm not going to say anything more about it. But you could <laughs> tell that that people uh, or players are really not. You know, they don't think he is a rookie anymore. No, I think that he's the better of the two defensemen on that top pair. And that's not yeah. taking anything away from David Savard. They they just play different games, right? Gooley has the combination of skating ability and, and smarts. And what, one thing that stuck out with David Savard is that he's he might be out of position at times and, and a little slow to react, but his stick skills are actually really good. Like he gets in the way of pucks that need to be gotten away of, right? And it's only about blocking shots, but blocking passes and getting a stick on clearing attempts and and things like that. And, and I think that that's a good presence to have, um, but he's not built for top minutes in the NHL. Like, he's just not. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it's, And that's nothing against him. It's just, you know, we saw it in, in Montreal at times when, um, when Shea Weber was out in the past, right? Where they were putting guys in a spot that they weren't prepared for. And, and that's fine, but but I think that yeah, I mean, Keaton Gooley is is the guy, and he's he's a guy that you can just pencil into that lineup for twenty minutes a night, twenty twenty five minutes a night for fifteen years, and and that's yeah. not hyperbolic. Like no. if this is his, if this is his floor, he's already a top four defenseman in the NHL. It, it, yep. You know, he has he has the shot, he has the skating ability, he has the passing ability, and if those can develop into even bigger threats, then you're looking at a guy who can be kind of like a, a left-handed anchor of this defense. And that's not something to take lightly at all. Um, no. And 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 to move even further down the, the list of, of young defenders, uh, Justin Barron and Matthias Norlander and Laval are looking really good as well. Uh, and and I'm glad that they're getting big minutes in Laval. And, and Justin Barron especially had a little bit of a rough start um, with the same problems that you saw in preseason. Uh, but but Norlander, you know, and there's going to be mistakes and, and stuff like that as well for those two. But there's still big parts of this future. They kind of get lost uh, a little bit, A, because there's there's newer bodies around, and B, because they're not in the NHL. But, you know, and that's even before you get to guys like Hudson and, um, and you know, guys who are, who are still in junior and college and uh, coming up as well, Engstrom, um, even a guy like Logan Mayu. Like, there's there's a lot of, talent in this organization and and it's going to be a lot of fun to see which guys rise to the occasion which guys get kind of pushed out a little bit and and that's not a bad thing either um but we, you know. we have to talk a little bit about you know, laval as you bring them up and it's going to be the mm-hmm. finish of the, of the pod really uh but who will and and laval 
something got to give in that regard, Matt. I'm surprised you haven't spoken about firing someone yet, so I'm going to leave it open to you. <laughs> well, I, I don't watch Laval as much as uh, Jared, for instance, or Scott, right? So I, I you won't typically hear me saying uh, anything about firing people down there. Uh, however, uh, you know, when you look at so far this season, uh, it's not going super well. But again, what did I say about the NHL team? right? It's, it's not necessarily about wins and losses right now. It's about positive progress. As Jared mentioned, Justin Barron, rough start, starting to get better though. Mm-hmm. Matthias Norlander starting to get better. If the, the, the AHL team could lose every single game this season, but if they can get some players closer to graduation or graduate a few players, I think that would be a win. And that would be enough for you to say, all right, well, you know what? We're not firing any coaches because we like what you've done so far in terms of development. Of course you want them to win. Right. Getting them into the playoffs gets you a valuable opportunity to give players experience. We saw it last year where they called up Joshua and he got into a playoff game for the AHL uh, and looked pretty good in there as well. So I I do think that there's value in the AHL team being better than it currently is. But I wouldn't be going off uh, half cock and firing anybody just because they're not winning right now. I would look at what Jared said and say, all right, well, I've got positive progress out of some players that I consider to be important for this organization. And that to me is a win. Yeah, the thing with Laval is that they they're they're a very young team uh, compared to last year, right? Last year was mostly AHL veterans, um, with the exception of you know guys like Teasdale, Harvey Pinard, um, and uh, and Jesse Linen. You know th- those guys are, are kind of the, the were the exception last year. Like on defense, especially, you had guys like Xavier Willett, Louis Belpedio, like just veterans up and down. And now you have a really young team. And what you're seeing is you're seeing the same mistakes that the young players are making in Montreal, in the NHL, but in the AHL. And the difference is, is that they don't have a Suzuki or Caulfield to, to make up for those mistakes, right? Like I, that's, that's a major issue right now with, with Laval is that their, their, their consistency is an issue. And I'm going to have an article about this uh, in a couple of days. Um, but, but the, the, the issue with Laval is the consistency and they don't have the skill level in the AHL to make up for those mistakes. And if you give up four goals, they don't always have the ability to get five. And and that's and that's an issue. But I, I think that it's still really early. Like, remember, there's no preseason for the AHL, right? These guys have practices and games to get going. And there's only been, you know, seven, eight games so far this season. And it's not an ideal start, obviously. But the, the things that, like, I would rather this start where the results aren't there, but the young players are improving and playing well, than if they were undefeated and on the backs of guys like Alex Belzil and Danik Martel. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like I, the, the play of the young prospects is more important right now. And, you know, Yan Mishak is playing really well in Laval. William Trudeau, who pr- probably shouldn't even like, no one was expecting him to be in the AHL this year. And, and now he's, you know, um, before getting hurt, he was in that rotation of, of the team's defense and, and playing relatively well as well. So I, I think that, that's the more important thing. And, and this team is going to develop consistency. They're going to learn how to be professional players and, and there's going to be ups and downs. There's going to be growing pains, but you know, the Keaton Primo is playing outstanding. Uh, you know, the young defense are, are playing well. Uh, the, the young forwards are are looking good as well. Again, Mishak to me looks like an, a future NHLer uh, without question. And you add him into the mix of, you know, Owen Beck and guys like that. And it's like, okay, this is, we don't usually have this issue where there's too many guys potentially in the NHL. 
Um, but, but down the road, it, it's going to be very fun to to watch this team kind of develop. And look, it, it's the, the Laval might even get worse as the year goes on, right? If, if the forwards in the NHL level get moved, like we're expecting them to, or the defense gets healthy, um, you can see the opposite happen where guys get sent down, right? A guy like Jack Guy um, is probably the odd man out when when Evanson comes back or or Matheson especially. So, you know, Laval's probably going to get some reinforcements. They might get Slavkovsky down the road, uh, although that's that's less certain than it was, say, two weeks ago. Um, but I, I think that there's going to be some some growing pains, uh, like you're seeing the NHL level. And the difference for Laval is that they don't have a Caulfield and Suzuki to get them out of that, right? They don't have that kind of um, skill set to just kind of score goals uh, at will. And and I think that's that's a major issue because the consistency is 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 an issue. And But it's... Is getting better. Don't write them off because the AHL is really all about getting better as the year goes on. And you've seen teams come out of nowhere and make the playoffs and, and really have a, a strong push at the end of years. And, and Laval is the team that can uh, that can do that. You've been listening to Absent Minded, the first episode of the regular season, a bit late, but hopefully with a lot of interesting content. I know Jared and Matt would like to thank you as long as, as, as well as I do uh, for all the support you've given us over the year. Uh, it's been amazing and we're looking forward to the upcoming season. Um, don't forget that uh, up next, because Montreal plays on Tuesday, um, we're going to have the Player of the Month for October coming up as one pod uh, to join the article as well. Thank you guys for listening. Follow us on Spotify, follow us on Apple, follow us on Google Play. Make sure to follow us online on Twitter and send in questions if you want us to, to bring any special subjects up. Thank you guys for listening.